Good morning. Today's scripture reading is from John 2, 1 through 11. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana, Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind they used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first and the cheaper wine after the guests had had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you please pray with me for just a moment? Lord, we believe the truth that your word is powerful and effective and can impact our lives and do good work in us and through us. And so we want to be open and receptive now to whatever the Spirit wants to do through the word. May we receive it with joy and live it out faithfully and courageously in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, Adronis Gestaltus is a man living in Lithuania who got sick and tired of his old car. Now, his car was a Mercedes CLK class, which is a nice car, but it had seen better days, as you can see here in this picture. It was old, it was getting rusty, he had tried to make some modifications to it, and it well, this didn't turn out too well. Not a very attractive car, wouldn't you agree? Now, he decided it was time to get a new car, but rather than trade this in on a new car, he decided to transform that car into something totally different. And so using polyurethane foam and cardboard stencils, he began the process of recreating his entire car. Take a look at this next picture. Here he is uh, molding it. Go to the next picture, Ann. There we go. You see him uh, kind of refining it a little bit. Now, let me show you the finished product. Take a look at this. Isn't that something? Not bad. Here's a before and after picture for you. Look at that. There's a little bit of a difference, don't you think? Wow. He also redid the interior with with foam. Take a look at the before and after. Uh, Most of that's foam, uh, but some of it is uh, dials that he got, but... That's pretty impressive. He sold that car for a pretty big chunk of money. And then he bought another clunker, and he's working on that with polyurethane foam and cardboard stencils to recreate another car. And uh, rumor has it that buyers are lined up, foaming at the mouth, so to speak, to, to buy the next car, right? You know I had to do that, right? But what, I, what Adronis would tell you about transforming cars is that it's a lot of hard work. It takes some time and effort and talent and intentionality, but it's truly amazing the transformation that takes place. And what's true about a car is also true about other areas of our lives. Transformation can happen 
But it usually doesn't happen by accident. You know, we love these uh, kind of transformational TV shows where they take something that's old and messed up and they transform it into something new. I mean, you think about the show Fixer Upper where they fix up houses or, or The Biggest Loser where people transform their physical bodies or those late night commercials for ab machines that can turn your big belly into a six-pack of abs in just, you know, a couple of months. And what we really love about those infomercials and television shows, we, we love looking at the before and the after pictures. And it's just amazing the changes that take place. Because there's something within us that loves transformation. And we love to look at those pictures because we believe that transformation is, in fact, possible. That's a hope that God has wired into our hearts and into our lives. A desire to experience transformation in some way. Whether it be in our relationships or our bank accounts or our bodies or our souls. We want to believe that transformation is possible. And it is possible. But here's a truth that sometimes gets overlooked in the before and after pictures. That between the before and the after, there is a lot of hard work, perseverance, and faith. So welcome back to our series on the life of Jesus. We're spending several months looking at his life, his teachings, his miracles. And right now we're looking at some of the miracles of Jesus. And we're looking to discover what those miracles have to say for our lives today. You know, last week, Pastor Mark Montgomery uh, introduced this part of our, our series on miracles, and he pointed out that the miracles Jesus performed usually had, had two parts to him. One part was to authenticate his identity. Jesus did miracles to prove who he was, so that he could be trusted. And we could believe what he said because of the miracles that he did. They authenticated his identity and his authority. But the other point of the miracles were to convey a message or to teach an important lesson or to reveal a powerful truth. So as we look at these miracles... We want to celebrate how they authenticate Jesus' identity, but we also want to understand the truth, the meaning, the additional message that is being communicated in these miracles. And so today we're going to look at one of the most familiar miracles that many people know about, the the miracle where Jesus turned water into wine. John's Gospel tells us this, this morning that it happened in the village of Cana of Galilee, which was just a short distance away from Jesus' hometown of Nazareth. And Jesus was there with His disciples, and His mother Mary was there. And they're at this wedding banquet. Now what you need to understand about first century Palestinian weddings is that they don't just last a few hours. I did a wedding yesterday, and after the wedding there was a wedding reception. It lasted four or five hours, the whole thing. But in Jesus' day, when they had a wedding and a reception, it could last four or five days. They typically, in those days, did weddings either on Wednesday or Thursday. And then they would celebrate right through the weekend. And, you know, guests would come and go. It was usually a big family reunion and there'd be people there. The weddings were usually held at the the homestead of the groom. And so there'd be lots of people there and they'd be celebrating after the service with different meals and all different kinds of entertainment. And it's just a wonderful time of being together and enjoying it. But you can imagine with that kind of a reception, many days, people coming and going. It would be hard to figure out how to have enough of the supplies you would need, the refreshments you would need uh, for everybody who would be coming to the wedding. And uh, in this particular case, as Jesus and his disciples are there at the wedding reception, 
they run out of wine. And when we hear that, we well, that's probably not a big deal. But, you know, back in those days, they couldn't run out to Costco and get more. And in those days, it was a big deal to run out of wine at a wedding. Very embarrassing for the groom and the groom's family. In that culture where hospitality is so very important, where your family name and honor and reputation so very important, when you're, when you're taking two separate families and creating a new one, and the in-laws are there, you don't want to run out of wine. But they did. And Mary, who's aware of this before a lot of other people knew about it, goes to Jesus with this little problem. She, she knows her son. She knows what he's capable of. And uh, she, she says, hey, they've run out of wine. Now, Jesus' response to his mother kind of puts us off a little bit. We, it almost sounds like Jesus is irritated or frustrated. You know, it, it sounds like he's saying, Mom, we don't have a problem. The groom has a problem, and I'm not doing anything about that. You, you ever hear that old joke about uh, Tonto and the Lone Ranger are on their horses in the plains there, and uh, they're surrounded by an angry group of Apache Indians who are getting ready to attack? And the Lone Ranger looks at Tano and says, Tano, we are in big trouble. And Tano looks back at him and says, What you mean we, pale face? Come on, people. That's the best I got this morning. But you know, you almost feel like, that's almost like what Jesus is saying to his mom. Yeah, hey, it's not my problem. I, you know, I, I'm not the... But what you need to understand is the, the term woman that Jesus uses there is a very... It's a term of endearment. He, he, he's not frustrated. He's not irritated. He's just pointing out to his mom that probably this wouldn't be the time for him to perform his very first miracle. And yet Mary, you know, she doesn't know her. Maybe her son's willing to do it. It doesn't hurt to ask. And maybe he'll change his mind. So as she's walking away, she kind of looks over at the servants who are there. And she kind of, I just imagine her pointing behind her and going, hey, do whatever he tells you to do. And sure enough, Mary knows her son pretty well because Jesus changes his mind. He decides to intervene. And he calls the servants over and he points out six stone water jugs that are probably there by the entranceway. John tells us that those water jugs were, were used to hold water for ceremonial washings. Back in those days, you know, it's, they don't have showers. And so keeping clean was really important. And you do these ceremonial washings when you'd come into somebody's house. And in fact, several times during the wedding banquet, they would stop for ceremonial washings. People ate with their hands. And, you know, you're there for several days and you're eating different things. So, so cleanliness was really important. And the water jugs were there to help with that. And uh, the banquet's probably been going on for several days if they've already run out of wine. And so these water jugs are probably just about empty. And Jesus points to them and he tells the servants, hey, go fill them up with water. And so they do. And when they fill up the jugs with water, Jesus says, okay, now scoop some of that out and take it to the master of the banquet. The master of the banquet was like the MC, master of ceremonies. He was in charge of introducing the bride and the groom and introducing the different speeches that would happen and telling people what was going to come next. And he was also in charge of the food to make sure everything was was uh, moving along as appropriate. And he would be the one who would sample the wine whenever they'd break out a new batch of wine. And So the servants, they would typically use a little bowl. They, they scooped out some of this and took it to the master of the banquet. And when he sipped it, he couldn't believe it. He said, wow, that is really good wine. In fact, he's so impressed, he calls the groom over. I think he puts his arm around the groom and says, I, you know, I do a lot of weddings, and i got to tell you, most of the time, families bring out the really good wine first, and when everybody's had plenty to drink, then they break out the cheap stuff, because people won't be able to tell the difference at that point. But you, 
You've saved the best till now. This wine is better than the original wine. And John ends the story there by saying that this was the very first miracle that Jesus performed and his disciples put their faith in him. Why wouldn't they? He performed an amazing miracle right before their eyes. And you know, uh, the early church, when they heard of this story and this miracle, they understood the meaning behind it. There's a deep and important message Jesus is communicating, and we don't want to miss it. And here's the message that's being communicated in this miracle, this very first miracle. Jesus is proclaiming that the new covenant He is bringing, the covenant He is sealing with His blood on the cross, this new relationship He's going to offer us with God, the forgiveness and grace and mercy that comes with this new covenant, is better and superior to the old covenant that the Jews were living under, the covenant of Moses and Abraham, the covenant based on the law and the sacrificial system of animals, that the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross was going to be far superior to the sacrifice of animals. That Jesus, in coming into the world, fulfilled the requirements of the old covenant and then with His blood established a new covenant. Remember, friends, in the ancient world, wine was used in covenant ceremonies. Whenever you enter into an agreement or a covenant, like a wedding, in fact, in the wedding ceremony itself, the bride and groom would have sipped wine together during the ceremony as a way of saying, we are now entering into a new life together as husband and wife, a new agreement with each other. So wine was often used in covenant ceremonies to acknowledge new relationships and new agreements. And so Jesus is using this opportunity to say, I'm bringing a new covenant that's better than the old. Remember what the master of the, of the banquet said? He said, This new wine is better than the previous wine. That is meant to help us understand what Jesus has done in fulfilling the old covenant and bringing the new covenant is a new thing and a far better thing. And aren't we glad we're living in this new covenant? So that would have been the message of the miracle. But I also think in this miracle we have two other messages that I I think have more personal application to our lives. And In the few minutes we have left, I just want to highlight these for for a second for, for you to think about. The first very personal message I think gets communicated in this miracle is that transformation and transformational miracles, while they they do happen and they are amazing, they also involve work. Right? Think think about what Jesus does. In verse 7 of the, the story, Jesus tells these servants to go fill these water jugs with water. And can I tell you, that was hard work. It's not like they could... Take these water jugs and put them under a spigot. They, they didn't run a hose and fill them up. These water jugs were large, holding 30 gallons of water. There's six of them. That's 180 gallons of water. And they had to fill them all up. The story says they filled them to the brim. They would have had to have... They, they couldn't take these jugs to a well. They'd been too, it would be way too heavy to try to bring them back full. They would have to go get buckets and go to the well. And the well was usually at the edge of the village or maybe in the center of the village. But the well wouldn't be right there in the house. They would have to go and cart water and fill these jugs up. That would have taken some time and some effort. And they did it. They were willing to work. And because the servants were willing to work, Jesus then was able to do the miracle. You see the point there? See, Jesus wants to transform your life and my life. But for that to happen, there's some things we've got to be willing to do. We've got some water jugs to fill. We don't want to believe the lie that I just sit back and wait for God to do His miracle. we got to understand the truth that if I want to see God do a miracle in my life, there's a few water jugs I better start filling. 
People want to see financial miracles. They want to see God do a great work in their finances. But usually that means there's some work to do. That's why we offer Financial Peace University here. Opportunity to learn God's wisdom on money management. How to, how to understand the way to use money in a biblical way that can make a huge difference in somebody's life. But you gotta take the class and do the homework and, and, and create the new disciplines in your life to experience the miracle that comes from doing the work. A lot of people want God's wisdom in their life. They want to have a better understanding of the Scriptures and, and how to apply the Scriptures to their life. But you've got to do the work. That's why we offer Disciple Bible Study and other small group experiences here. Because we know that the only way God's Word gets into our life is if we do the work of opening our hearts and studying and thinking upon and talking about and reflecting upon the work. The Word of God is powerful, but we've got we to gotta mine it. We've got to work at it. You want a great marriage? You want good relationships with the kids? You want a meaningful career? You want good health? Whatever it is that needs to be transformed in your life and in my life, Jesus wants to help us with it. Jesus wants to do a miracle of transformation for His glory. But we got some work to do. On the road between ordinary and extraordinary, on the road from before to after, there are some water jugs that have to be filled Angela Duckworth, who wrote the book Grit, I mentioned it a couple weeks ago, she spent uh, most of her adult career studying people who do extraordinary things, extraordinary levels of achievement and accomplishment in their life, people we respect and admire for their abilities. And what she points out is simply this, it's not their talent, it's not their ability, it's their willingness to do hard work consistently to develop those talents and abilities. She says, having raw talent means nothing. That's just the price of admission. Then to become truly extraordinary, you got to take whatever you've been given and work hard, do the work to shape and mold it. And I'll tell you, Jesus wants to turn your life and my life into something extraordinary, but he, he, He's already given us what we need to work with. He's given us talents and skills and ability. And as He works in us we have work to do so let me ask you this morning are there parts of your life that are maybe a a little bit too ordinary these days has god stirred up within you a holy discontent in some area of your life where there's too much pain too much dysfunction too much discouragement too much frustration maybe that's a a message from the lord to say hey go fill up some water jugs And then watch what I'll do. Because as we do the work, He begins to do a work in us. That's part of the transformation miracle. It's it's the person we become in the process of the transformation. So transformation involves work. A willingness to fill the water jugs. That's the first important truth. Here's the second important truth. It also requires faith. It's work combined with faith. And the faith isn't in our own efforts. The faith is in Jesus and what He can do as we do what we're supposed to do. We do our part, He does His part, and that's when the miracle happens. But we put our faith in Jesus, not in our own talent, skills, and ability. Notice in verse 8, after the water jugs are filled, Jesus says to the servants, Go, take it to the master of the banquet. Now, you've got to understand, it's still water in these water jugs. It's still water. It hadn't turned into wine yet. And these servants are probably thinking to themselves, You want us to do what, Jesus? 
You want us to go scoop up some water out of these jugs and take it to the master of the banquet and have him sip it, try to pass it off as wine? That's crazy. He'll be so angry. He'll be so upset. He'll be so frustrated. We'll lose our jobs. They don't want to do this. But then they remember the words of Mary. You remember what she said to him? Do whatever he tells you to do. Hey, to do whatever he tells you to do when it doesn't seem to make sense, when it doesn't seem right, when it's a little counterintuitive, when it's going to put you at risk, to do whatever he tells you to do, that takes faith. Courageous faith. The servants took the water to the master of the banquet and somewhere between the rim of that water jug and the lips of the master of the banquet, it became wine. That's the miracle. Activated by their faith. Prepared by their hard work. Jesus did something amazing, but He did it through them, not to them. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you really stepped out on faith and took a risk Because you thought this is what the Lord wanted you to do and you were going to do whatever He told you to do. When was the last time you were willing to get outside your comfort zone and say, hey, this is going to be hard for me. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me right now. I'm not comfortable, but I just sense this is the right thing that the Lord wants me to do, so I'm going to do it. And I just trust that the Lord will show up because if the Lord don't show up, I don't know what I'm going to do. Friends, think about the turtle. The only way a turtle makes progress is when he sticks his neck out. When was the last time you stuck your neck out because you believed this is what the Lord was calling you to do? Are you playing it too safe in your life? Are you staying too much in your comfort zone? Are you willing to do whatever He tells you to do? Not because it's foolishness, but because it's faith in action. People sometimes ask me, Pastor Mark, why aren't there more miracles today? Why don't we hear about uh, great miracles like we hear about in the Bible? And well, Pastor Mark Montgomery answered part of that last week. You know, when God is doing a new thing, He often accompanies that new thing with lots of supernatural signs and wonders. It's His way of saying, I'm doing a new thing, pay attention. So when Jesus came, there were a lot of supernatural signs and wonders as God was pointing to Jesus and saying, here's a new thing I'm doing. But I still think that miracles happen today. But one of the reasons I think they don't happen as often as they might is because God is waiting for us to put ourselves in a place of obedience so that we can activate His miracle power. That sometimes the reason the miracle doesn't happen is not because God is not willing, but because we're not willing to step out and trust that God will do what only God can do. You know... The Bible tells us we'll all stand before the Lord on the day of judgment to give an account of our lives. Now, for the Christian, that's good news. The Bible says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We will, we will be rewarded at the end of our lives. And so we're not to fear the judgment. But we are to prepare for it and understand that we will give an account of what we did, what we chose to do, what we neglected. And, and I sometimes wonder, as I think about the day I stand before the Lord, I, I, I sometimes wonder if part of what my day of accountability will be like is the Lord will put His loving arms around me and say, hey, I I love you, my child, but I want to show you something. I want to show you some of the things I wanted to do in your life. I wanted to show you some of the adventures I wanted to call you on. I wanted to show you some of the miracles I was preparing to do for you, but 
you didn't experience them because you wouldn't stick your neck out. You just wanted to play it safe. You wouldn't do what I told you to do and you missed it. I love you. I'll forgive you. Heaven is awaiting for you. But I just wanted you to know you missed some things. You know, I think that's going to be true for, for us because the reality is we don't experience miracle power a lot of times because we don't trust the Lord will show up. We don't do whatever He tells us. You know, we've been inviting folks in this series to memorize Bible verses and each, uh, each month we're giving a different Bible verse. The Bible verse for this month is Proverbs 3.5. Let's take a look at it up on the screen. Let's read this out loud together. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. Acknowledge the Lord in all of your ways and He will make your paths straight. This is a verse that invites you and me to live an extraordinary life of faith, trusting that if we're doing what He says, He will do a great work in us and through us. Amen. You ever heard the the poem about the cautious man? One of my favorite poems goes like this. There was a very cautious man who never laughed or played. He never risked. He never tried. He never even prayed. And when one day he passed away, his insurance was denied. For since he never really lived, they claimed he never died. Don't get to the end of your life, folks, and look back and say, did I ever really live? Did I ever really get outside of my safety net and experience life where I'm trusting in Jesus and I'm doing what He says even when it's difficult? Because that's that's where the miracles happen. Jesus did something extraordinary because those servants were willing to do the work and then they were willing to do what He told them even when it was hard. That's when the miracles happen in your life and in my life. And as a church, God calls us to be agents of transformation in our community, in our world. So I do hope you'll take the opportunity to, to go into the gathering room and hear about how we're transforming our community and our world through, the, through the, the work that we're doing with our partner ministries. It's just a wonderful story of lives that are being touched and changed. You know, money is really a kind of ordinary thing. It's a resource. It's like water. But when it's in the right hands... And when people are doing what Jesus tells them to do with the resources He's entrusted them, great things can happen. So I hope you'll go hear some of those stories about the great things that are happening through the resources that our church is is offering to our partner ministries because extraordinary things happen when God's people trust Him. The truth is, without Him, we can't. But without us, He won't. I know an angry man full of bitterness and resentment because somebody hurt him deeply and he just couldn't let go of his anger, his frustration, his desire to get even someday. And then finally, finally, he was willing to do the work of healing and forgiving and letting go of his stubborn resentment and bitterness. To see him now, he's a different person. It's like this weight has been lifted from his shoulders and this his heart has been set free from that prison but he had to do the work and he had to trust Jesus I know a woman with an alcohol addiction who finally got past her addiction she had lost so much she lost 
her marriage, she lost her kids, she lost her job, she lost her health. But she finally did the work. And she trusted in Jesus. And now she has found a joy and a peace that you cannot get from a bottle. I, uh, last fall, did a, a wedding vow renewal ceremony for a couple in our church. They've been married for about 15 years. So much pain, so much brokenness, so much betrayal, so much water under the bridge. They could barely speak to each other, but they were willing to do the work. And it took time and effort and tears and prayers. But because they were willing to do the work and do what he said, their marriage got put back together better than ever. And if you see them now, you know the power that Jesus has to mend hearts and mend marriages and mend lives. Oh, friends, I could tell you story after story after story, but it's time to wrap up. So let me just say this. Don't settle for an ordinary life. Jesus wants to do something extraordinary in you and in me and through you and me, but we've got to do the work and we've got to be willing to do whatever He tells us to do because then we can celebrate the miracle that comes along as a result. When we do our part, He does His part. Without Him, we can't. But without us, he won't.